Welcome to episode 97 of the Left Behind Game Club. This week, we play Kentucky Route Zero's fourth interlude, Un Pueblo de Nada. You can find all things Left Behind Game Club on our website at leftbehindgame.club, on Twitter at leftbehindclub, and on Instagram at leftbehindgameclub. If you like what you've heard so far in our Kentucky Route Zero series, give us a review on your podcasting platform of choice. It helps a lot. Let's get right into it. You're listening to the Left Behind Game Club. Welcome to the Left Behind Game Club, our never-ending attempt to make sure that no game is left behind. I'm your host, Jacob McCourt, and today I have two friends with me. The first friend, you know him, you love him, his name is Michael Ruffalo. I'm excited to talk about a very eerie interlude. And here to talk about a very eerie interlude with us is our second friend. It is his eighth time on the podcast, Mr. Adam Ionetta. Thanks so much for having me back. If you are tuning into this episode without having listened to our seven previous episodes of the Kentucky Route Zero Saga, you may want to stop this one, download our Act 1 episode, start there, continue through, and make your way here. Don't worry, we'll be here when you're ready. Gentlemen, uh, today we're talking about the fourth interlude, and I'm going to screw this up, but the name of it is Un Pueblo de Nada. Did I get that right? Did I do it? Well done. You know, I think that was good. Yeah. I think it was good enough. Yeah. Thank you. Um, this game, or this interlude, has a very different perspective than everything else that we've played thus far in this game. Is that a, is that a fair statement? I, I think that's fair. When you say perspective, are you talking about the visual perspective of it? Like, Ooh, good question. <laughs> interpret <laughs> well i mean i looking at this this interlude and as far as the perspective goes i guess visually i was reminded of uh the second interlude uh the entertainment because you play it from uh a focal point rotating around a room and you never actually physically move from one area to the next you just make a, a full 360 and can sort of interact with the different uh, aspects and elements. But this one where instead of uh, being in the first person perspective of a character in which the entertainment, you were the bar fly um, this one, you're sort of in the third person perspective over the shoulder of Emily, who is one of the uh, three characters we've come to know and love as uh, the basement people. Uh, wait, are you telling me that the people in this, uh, in this interlude are the basement people, the people that we see at the beginning in Equus oils playing a board game in the basement? I, I guess so. I, I actually didn't piece it together until this point. And what I found out later is that they're actually the musicians uh, that we see sort of appearing and reappearing in all of the different acts. Uh, I think most recently, right towards the very end of Act 4, at the end of uh, uh, Sam and Ida's, as we're, we're pulling out, they sort of drift lazily along in a little lifeboat and uh, begin to play this very somber sort of Greek chorus piece to close things out for us. Uh, can I bring up something that I really enjoyed in this interlude? Please. That there's a crow <laughs> on the computer. <laughs> you mean, and you mean his name? Go ahead. And when you say on the computer, you don't mean on the computer screen. You mean... Your mama's so fat, she doesn't hang around the house. <laughs> she hangs around the house. 
You mean Sorry. that there is a crow named Mo who yes. is operating the computer. Yes, and he is slow at it. If so there, slow Mo, the crow, operating the computer, if yes. If there was ever uh, a hint that this game was inspired by David Lynch, <laughs> this was it. Because it is just so surreal. It's absurd. It is truly absurd. Um, and he's, I guess he's pretty good at operating the computer, although a little bit, uh, a little bit slow at it. Uh, sorry for that, that uh, random thing. I just wanted to point that out, especially because our friend Mo isn't on these podcasts, and he'll probably not listen to this, so we can say, like, slow Mo. <laughs> <laughs> so set, set the scene. So, so we are at a uh, community television station, mm-hmm. and that community television station is called WEVP-TV, uh, which has been on the splash screen when you start the game. And imagine that you're in a very, like, old-school, broken-down, like, classroom. Like, it's got the, the, the stucco ceiling it's tiles. Like a mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, like a portable. Yeah. Yes. So anyone, anyone who had ever taken classes in a portable, you know the, the state of rundown affairs that they could be. Um, you, this is just some really low-budget public, public access TV, and it's something that has been referred to multiple times throughout the game so far in, in many episodes and interludes. Uh, it is where we have previously heard the story of Weaver haunting this, uh, this, this radio station, or this TV station. Um, we have previously heard that this is the TV station that was funded by the, the power company. Um, and and other little you know stories throughout uh, of the public access uh, TV channel, mm-hmm. and that you know Weaver was involved here, and that something happened, and then it it was destroyed. So, um, if if that's kind of the setup, you play the producer of the show, and your perspective, you can actually like move around in a three sixty space and explore the entire community radio station, whether it's the set, whether it's the weatherman, whether it's the door, whether it's your colleagues playing with a radio. And although the game is very linear, like you can kind of take your time with it and explore different nooks and crannies at your pleasure. One of the really cool features about the the point-and-click aspect of this environment specifically is that, you know, in, in other acts and in other interludes, um, you're sort of given a, a small text box that says, do you want to interact with this in some specific way, like uh, pet the dog or talk to um, Dr. Turner or whomever. But this one, when you, you place your cursor over top of something, these almost constellation-like illustrations begin to appear around what it is that you're looking at and uh, sort of highlight different features of them. And uh, your cursor itself is now sort of this... Uh, this strange-looking hieroglyphic eyeball with uh, five little fingers as well, so like you can actually grab things, and um, it's it's really really interesting how much the how much the gameplay and the visuals have changed since the very beginning, especially with this this interlude, because for the first time you can really appreciate the the three-dimensional visuals of these characters because now they're almost um, polygonal whereas before they were almost like very simple 2d cutouts uh, so it's really interesting to see that dynamic evolution over um, I, i'm not sure how many years this interlude took from the time they first started the first act um, but it's 
it's great to see that sort of evolution. Yeah, I think it's five years from the start of Act 1 in 2013, so they were developing it for maybe a couple years, like five-plus years. And just to bounce off your point, you had said that, like, the characters, you know, are, are great, even though they have no faces. Exactly. And I think the first thing I noticed in this interlude was the fact that Ron, who's just a, a guest on the random community television station, and he brings in a tape, he's wearing glasses, and I think he's got, like, a beard. And I think it's one of the first times where I actually noticed, like, facial detail, because the characters, I feel, are so great at, at telling telling their story with their bodies that they have not needed a face until now. Absolutely. And they, they, they don't even have a face now. No, I, I completely agree with that. They've never needed facial expressions to for us to read and interpret the characters just based on the things that they say as well as the things that they don't say, that being the different options we're allowed to pick and choose for them. I love the fact that uh, you know we've seen a progression as we've played episode by episode, interlude by interlude, of them getting more confident as directors, taking you know more interesting ways to to tell the story visually um, and storytelling. And I love the way that this was done from like uh, you know center of the room perspective, and you get to to spin around. And I expect, and I don't know if this is going to be true, but similar to previous interludes that give you a hint of how you're going to be interacting with the next uh, episode, um, I expect episode five is going to be it's going to have some scenes like this or a moment like this. Wow, mm-hmm. I never thought of that. That's really interesting. Did you guys happen to explore um, the website that goes alongside um, this interlude? I did, but I was left a little disappointed because all I got was the, um, are, are you talking about the, the video on YouTube or are you talking about the website itself? Because all I got when I looked up the website was just, uh, like, remember back in the 90s when your TV wasn't working properly and you just get the multicolored bars across the screen? Yeah. That, that's all I got. And so I was, I was kind of hoping for something more. Um, but what did, what did you end up finding, Jacob? So um, if you go to wevp.tv, um, you'll be kind of uh, graced with like um, a video that just plays kind of full screen in a, in a uh, browser. But if you go to slash VDB, it actually gives you the entire broadcast history of that day, I believe, on wevp.tv. Uh, and you can actually watch all of the clips that were used because throughout the entire interlude you'll be putting tapes into you know to go to air and like you'll be they'll be talking and not only are those tapes here but they've also shot a recreation of what is played in the game yes as as a video on this website which is the most of course cardboard computer did that (laughs) (laughs) it's so meta mike did you explore the website at all i did not uh so I knew that there were YouTube videos associated with this one, um, but I did not dive into anything other than the the game itself and the phone number that you get prompted with along the way. As I was playing Ooh. the game, um, or as I was playing this, this interlude, I saw a phone number pop up, and I grabbed my phone right next to me. I'm like, this is a game that that number is definitely <laughs> still active and definitely yeah. still working. So I just put it on speakerphone, and I listened, uh, listened as I continued to play. So you, I didn't, but it sounds, Adam, from your face, I'm guessing that you did that too. So do you guys want to tell us what was on that phone number? Adam, I, go for it. 
Yeah, sure. I mean, the so the phone number, uh, if you are interested, it's 270-216-5556. And it's just a very brief message, nowhere near as in-depth uh, as here and there along the echo. Um, but it's just a, a brief... Here and there <laughs> along the echo. But it's it's nowhere. Sorry, no, 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 no. Please, um, if you have any information on how to handle snakes, please let me know. At uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's, uh, it, I, I believe it's Nikki or I can't remember her name. She's one of the characters referenced in this interlude. She she's the one on the answering machine. She says, "Thank you for calling us at EVP TV, and uh, you know if you have any questions or concerns, please let us know." And uh, it's just like a little. It's it's such a nice touch, and I, I love it when, whether it's movies or books or video games, they go beyond their own medium to try and expand their world and make it that much more fun and interactive. What I loved about playing this game, I don't know if you guys felt the same way, and it might have something to do with when we played this. I guess a little bit of context is we've been playing this game at... A fairly fast clip, a fairly fast pace. <laughs> um, one episode in an interlude to the next, and there was a little bit of distance between, you know, episode four and this interlude for us. Um, and for me, that time away, that distance, gave me a little bit of perspective of what the people who were playing this game, episode by episode, interlude by interlude, as it was coming out, must have been feeling, and. It, what I find so interesting is I know our takes along the way where it's kind of weird that all of these interludes and episodes are their own contained unit, right? And they kind of live on their own. Um, but, you know, experiencing this, I was actually kind of glad that, you know, it was its own contained unit and that I didn't have to have a previously on uh, episode bumper where, you know, you, you're just kind of reminded of what happened previously, um, a lot of the, the references when they come from previous episodes kind of just hit you. Um, and there was one really great line or one really great portion of the game where um, you're searching through a catalog of tapes to find the one that that you're, you're promised. And I'm pretty sure it's a video that is described earlier in a previous interlude. And I feel like this is a moment the developers kind of break the fourth wall here and are talking to the audience where the, the, the character, I believe it's Emily, says, we should put this all in chronological order. Although I guess it's hard to remember sometimes the order of things. And some of these tapes were made at the same time. Or we started one video and then started another in the middle and then came back later. And time is out of joint. It's like sweeping a beach. Oh, wait a minute. And to me... <laughs> That was just that was the developers breaking the fourth wall and kind of just saying like, hey, like each one of these things were started at one point. We came back and finished it. We didn't do these in chronological order. We're not even telling this story in chronological order. So they, they each have their own uh, experience. And that's that's maybe why it's coming together in the way that it is. And um, I could very well be reading way too far into it, but. It was one of those things that definitely made me smile as I saw it. So I'm totally with you that, like, the interludes are probably told in non-chronological order, much like Pulp Fiction as as one example that I'm going to think of. Um, but can you argue that the acts are actually done in, in non-chronological order? Uh, not yet. Um, okay. But I, I guess, you know, at, at least in my perspective so far, I guess close to the end of the game... I can't imagine playing 
just the acts of this game without the interludes in the order that we've played them. Mm-hmm. I feel like it is like watching a TV show in <laughs> just random episode by random episode and trying to piece <laughs> things together. And what I love about this game, uh, or I mean, one of the many things that I love about this game is that they feed you bits of information that you build the blocks together to create this amazing universe. Um, and and so much of the, the mystery and magic of it is the possibility space and the things that they don't tell you. Um, and they, they frame such a really cool and interesting world. And uh, I'm going to stop gushing for now and let you guys talk. <laughs> well, well, no, I, I think the one thing that we've we've mentioned time and time again throughout all these episodes is that we keep having these Pepe Silvio moments as, as Mike often references them <laughs> where, you know, we're, we're in this room with newspaper clippings and string connecting bits of information to uh, try and piece together what this story is and ultimately come up with this insane connect the dots by the end of it. So it's, it's amazing how, you know, even just the mention of someone's name or, um, a specific moment in time or, um, what whatever uh, what have you uh how that seems to trigger something and you think to yourselves wait a minute i remember that from another act or another interlude and you know it all it all starts to come together so i i, I love that i'm not sure if it's foreshadow or what have you but it's it's really really enjoyable this this game has definitely got me platinum status at yarn barn i've started <laughs> buying it in bulk um <laughs> There, there is. I'm starting to get some serious discounts because of because of this game. Uh, <laughs> I think my favorite example on that is um, there's a callback to Cyrano Cole from the Rum Colony. Yeah, and like just having explained that or having them say that again, I just went back to the to the Rum Colony, which is probably one of my favorite settings in the entire game, and I just thought of my time there and how it was great. And then I got a weird phone call from a guy on the public access show. It was like, a raccoon ate my garbage. <laughs> and, and then I was like, okay, now this is my favorite part of that whole episode. Um, should we, should we kind of like high level say what happens in this, in this interlude? Because I think we need to talk about kind of the beginning is whatever, but I think there's an, like a series of two or three things that happen that actually have a, a huge impact on the story. Yeah. Do, you to, do you want me to kick those in, yeah. the, in the bucket? Yeah. yeah, I'd love to hear your like key moments because to me it's it's uh, you know there's there's two or three at most, um, but I'd love okay. to hear your overview. The Coles okay, notes. Okay, so uh, here's here are the Coles notes. Rita's hosting a show, and she's with Maya, and she's with Ron, and Jeff the Raccoon Garbage Man calls in. <laughs> uh, they they play more tapes, and essentially what happens is there's a power outage. And then the station comes back, and then there's a weird um, um, weaver kind of interception of the broadcast, and then there's an explosion, and then fade to black. And that's the entire interlude. It could take you anywhere from 25 minutes to I watched a playthrough after the fact, and it was like 50 minutes of playthrough time. So really, it's however pace you take it is how long it's going to be. Yes. The the one thing that's constantly happening in the background as the the primary events are going on is that it's raining outside and i shout out to the the sound director because they really captured what sitting inside of a tiny portable sounds like when it's getting pelted <laughs> by rain because i, I mean, I've, I've had those experiences from grade school and 
the entire time the rain is coming down and it continues to uh, to crescendo and you can you can not only experience it um, orally through the sound but you also experience it visually where there are points in time where you can um, acknowledge the leaky ceiling or the fact that there's water coming up through the floorboards despite the fact that we are in what is essentially a giant toaster with all of this electrical equipment <laughs> on the floor and nobody seems to be bothered by it. Everybody has that sort of mindset where they think, oh, that looks pretty bad, but I'm not going to do anything about it because someone else will take care of it. So, <laughs> Man, I, that I, is such... So as, as someone who did community radio, like I can tell you, like not only sometimes does programming get a little bit strange, no offense to anyone that I've ever been on the same station as, um, but uh, also... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's me. Spill. You're never gonna find out where I worked. Actually, it's on my social media. But like, sometimes the shows are eclectic, Michael, and uh, also the um, there's very much that perspective of like, oh man, it's broken. Like, I hope somebody fixes it. There, there is some serious janky public access TV uh, vibes throughout <laughs> this. But what? But the thing that I do love the most is what Adam alluded to, which is that each progressive like step in the game you look up to the ceiling and you see like oh man there's more water coming in and then you look down at the floor and it goes from there being like you know pots that are starting to fill up and then buckets that are starting to fill up to it just being like a sheer like slick wet surface all along with big puddles in the middle of this tiny little portable where uh, people are falling asleep on air, um, <laughs> people are unaware that they are currently live in broadcasting. Um, it is just the 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 lowest level jank of community public access TV that <laughs> I couldn't help but laugh at um, and love. Uh, there there are some amazing moments. Uh, it, I guess one of the other things that I love too is just the. The fact that there is an archive of all of these videos and all of these, oh, man. Uh, all of these things that you know they're trying to preserve, and they are preserving it essentially in a wet cardboard box, <laughs> where they just keep <laughs> shuffling it from one side of the room to the other, just hoping, just hoping that it doesn't grow moldy and deteriorate. In this game, they they think about old media like tape a lot, and then sometimes they're like, "Hey, this is really important," but other times they're like. Old media sucks. I, w- I was going to ask, have you guys had the chance? Um, I was looking up uh, playthroughs after my playthrough of, of this interlude um, to see what other tidbits I could find. And uh, apparently, I-, I don't know who it was, but this group of people got together and tried to recreate a live action reenactment of this interlude. Of no, it's... I, I haven't had a chance to watch it, but it's just from the little YouTube previews on the thumbnail. It is hilarious because, you know, you can tell that's clearly the character who's Ron. He's wearing the yellow baseball cap, those old-fashioned, like, 1970s, 1980s glasses, and he's got the goatee. And it's, like, I I don't know if this was just... I, I don't know if it was something Cardboard Computer put together themselves, or if it's just a diehard group of fans from like the fan wiki or something but i i'm very interested in looking into it some more i i know that there are some live action videos that they put out along with this but i would love even more if this was like a fan created thing um because this game seems to have that and we've talked about it before cult-like following but Mm -hmm. it seems like the cult-like fans of this go beyond you know cosplay that you might find with other fandoms it goes beyond fanfic 
that you might experience with other fandoms, this seems like a really hardcore uh, fandom. Like the people who are into this game, I think are into it. They're going to build maquettes in yeah. their basements for a year, <laughs> built strictly from the finest clay uh, from Kentucky, a small dealer, and they're going to buy a phone off eBay <laughs> and then draw the string all over their walls to figure out what the hell happened. Exactly. Pepe Silvio! Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't feel like there are a lot of lukewarm fans of this game. I feel like you either are into it or you just don't get it and you're like fine and you're like whatever. Other people can enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And that's um, that's one of the really interesting things about this because, as I've said before, I've never liked point and click adventure games, but this game has me converted, and so I'm I'm very I'm I'm so much into it uh, that I mean, while I haven't finished the game itself yet, I, I would go as far as to say I'm it's probably up there in like my top ten favorite video games of all time at this point right now. Wow. That's that's high praise. We haven't even finished it yet. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, what what I'd love to to go back to though is there there is the I think uh, supernatural eerie weird vibe throughout all of this that's unsaid. Uh-huh. Um, many points throughout the game or throughout the episode or act, um, your your character can respond weird or eerie to a lot of what's being said or what happens to her. Um, and if I, I don't remember which characters, I assume it's Bob. Um, they're working on a radio in the corner, and they're talking about how the fuzz in between radio stations is actually just picking up ghost, uh, ghost voices and ghost noise. Um, and I know if if we go even back to I think the first episode, um, we hear. Conway say something along the lines of my mom never trusted the TV she felt that the white noise was the ghosts trying to get through and we have this amazing moment I don't know if you guys clued in on it too where the power goes out and Weaver takes over the broadcast and they start you know power comes back on Weaver takes over the broadcast and you know everyone talks about like oh what should we do and they're like nothing we can do we've never been able to get it back from her she just decides to take over it whenever (laughs) she wants But the thing that is the most, to me, amazing moment is when the power goes off and Weaver is still controlling the broadcast. Um, This this moment of, like, nothing is going to stop. This is supernatural. This is more than just superstition, right? There is actually a paranormal extra extra element to this. The the really interesting thing about that moment with Ben and Bob as they're sitting by their tinkering their little ghost hunting device is um emily at one point says um some something along the lines of oh oh uh, there there's no such thing as ghosts except for the ghost of this studio and she refers to weaver <laughs> as that ghost and if you remember uh towards the end of the first act i think it's the first instance that conway and shannon have with the tv and staring into it shannon says you know i i could have swore for a moment I actually saw Weaver on the screen, and so I'm I'm very curious if that was alluding to these. I, I think they refer to them as interventions uh, throughout, where anytime the broadcast is interrupted and Weaver appears and takes control, they refer to them as an intervention. And so it's, I, I'm just I'm left speechless at all these kinds of moments, and I I can still remember looking back and thinking 
of my early thoughts of Shannon when she used to talk about how she studied um I can't even remember what oh, it was uh, the the, the study of topology or something it, like that yeah like the the study of sound waves and how they reverberate in tunnels and enclosed spaces and I I just kept thinking to myself nope you're just a you're just a ghost hunter this is all just a <laughs> ruse and and now we we get to you know five or six episodes later and they're talking about ghosts and I'm like this is it I'm not crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Totally, yeah. Like there are all these moments that I think I, I, you know, bring in my uh, prejudices from the real world, um, where I'm like, well, I don't believe in ghosts, and ghosts don't exist. But if we flash back to one of the very early episodes, we are in a mine or a mine shaft <laughs> in a world where when you turn the lights off, every spark illuminates a dead miner who's just staring at you along the way, and you hear them humming and walking out of the mine itself. And we go down a supernatural mine to end up in the zero, um, which I'm sure there has to be, I don't know if we've mentioned this, and I don't know what the connection would be, but un pueblo de nada, like a town or a people of nothing, and nothing is zero. I feel like there has to be a connection to the zero. Maybe it's the people of the zero. Um, Pepe Silvia moment right there. But again, <laughs> buying buying yarn in bulk. If you if you have the chance uh, to go onto YouTube, um, you can actually look up the the tape of Un Pueblo de Nada that they play during the interlude, and it's it's done in the. I, I guess the best way to describe it for a podcast is um, if you remember, like from the early '90s, those sort of slideshow gothic info educational um, videos you used to watch in grade school, where it was just stills of pictures and then just someone's voice over top kind of talking to you about uh, Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean and whatever year and you know <laughs> you would see a, a still of Christopher Columbus and then there was a boat but this one talks about who the who the people of nothing were and they yeah. it, it seems like a, a very interesting culture like a, a race of people that were uh, they, they seemed to be nomadic at one point and they they uh, migrated from South America to, um, or from Latin America to North America, and they were gun ho on freeing horses or, or letting them free, and their their entire culture rested upon the idea of all of life is an experiment, and you know everything they did, every life choice was based on some sort of social experiment, and they believe that whatever happened to them, the reason why they don't exist anymore, that we can't find them, is based on their final experiment, quote-unquote. And while we don't know what that was, we believe it has something to do with their their disappearance. I What I appreciated about the, the video they, they had sourced and then put together as well is that they drew from so many different inspirations. Um, the intro gave me, like, hard Electric Company vibes. Is that what that, that show was called back in the day? Hey, like you old, guys. <laughs> yeah, old electric company vibes. And like uh, the video that was shot was like, it felt like the 80s. It looked like the 80s. Um, and I don't know, was it a shot for shot recreation of the game? Or was it just kind of a um, kind of loosely based on? I I have no idea. Yeah, no idea. But the you can the the same sound file that they have playing in the background as you're playing through the interlude is the same one that they use during that little two to three minute 
video that you can find on YouTube. Should we hypothesize about like what we think happened or is it just a supernatural thing that happened that Yeah, like I I honestly my my take on it is that it was just we get to see what everyone had been talking about. Seeing mm-hmm. what that what this station that has been so central to a lot of the experience so far touching back on the story of Weaver, seeing for ourselves that this is not just people who are making things up, but this is actually Weaver in a, in a supernatural way taking over the station. And I think the thing that stood out to me the most is that it seemed like Weaver was making new things each time she took over the station. There was some comment that gave me that impression, and I always thought it was just the same t- you know, couple broadcasts that she was just doing over and over and over. Um, so I'm I'm really excited to see what happens in the next uh, episode or act. I don't expect any closure. I don't expect that we're gonna get uh, you know anything buttoned up and you know really nice with a bow because this seems to be the type of just very we're just gonna throw a bunch of stuff at the wall and let your imagination take hold. Was it was it someone that said in the interlude that her interventions always seem to come across as like a warning as far as what's supposed to be happening oh. and. It's it's kind of funny because you know the the rain is is just pelting the the sides of this little cardboard box um, cardboard company uh, WEVP TV uh, TV station no pun intended but um, well at the same time you know they they go over to Cyrano with the weather report and you've got this guy operating. Um, one of those old-fashioned overhead projectors, but he's he's doing something quite psychedelic with it, where he's adding melted wax on top of it. So rather than seeing you know your traditional weather report with a map of your general location, with you know cold fronts and warm fronts, um, it's just text and then this kaleidoscope of colors over top, and it says things like uh, imminent floods. Uh, retreat to higher ground and things like that, but but nobody seems to be bothered by any of this. And towards the very end, um, you know, Weaver finally comes on, and I mean, my my assumption was, you know, perhaps she was just trying to warn everybody in this general vicinity. You know, the flood is coming, so you know, evacuate at all costs. But I I have no idea what that has to do with anything. Um, potentially maybe the relationship with the miners from act one. It begs the question, Adam, where were these guys who are doing the, the meteorolo- meteorological report with an overhead projector from like the seventies? Uh, where are they getting their like weather from? Like where are they getting their, their, their reports from? Like, are they, are they using the crow mode on the computer to help figure it out? You know, it's, um, did you guys end up watching the uh, the video version of um, the broadcast? I did not. No. Okay. So my final point is just around the video because if you watch – so if you go on WEVB TV and you watch the actual broadcast, it actually shows you what Weaver was saying in like subtitle – with the hijacked broadcast and it talks about the earth being damp and and the tragic horses and how you have to close your eyes and how you're being surrounded by the dead and like again Mike you said it's kind of a lot of nonsense about like you'll find your way and all that stuff and you probably (laughs) won't get any answers but I think like 
I don't think that was in the game and it was in the video. So I think if you're That's if cool. you love if you love crazy. this game and you want to spend more time in the world, I would recommend watching the entire episode of uh, this this broadcast because they kind of do a recreation of it and it's a lot of fun and it gives you more pieces to the puzzle. That's I, awesome. I, Silvio. <laughs> more Pepe Silvia. I think we should just <laughs> leave it at that because uh, I'm going to go and watch that video right now um, yep. and look forward to our, our next discussion where we talk about Act 5 um, and see see what happens. Gentlemen, we're getting to the end. Like We're, we're, almost we're there. doing this. Yeah. We're almost there. Um, with no... Adam, do you have any final thoughts? I'm just... You look like you every, wanted to say something. That's no, why I it's, went to you. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's just that every single interlude and act, I, I don't want to say it answers any questions, but it just, it satisfies me with more information, but still leaves me with further questions. And this interlude I, is is one and the same. And I am, I am just so excited for what is, I, I guess, the final act and trying to figure out, okay, where do we go from here? We know that in the fourth act, Conway is Conway is gone. He is he is a light bright skeleton. I didn't know it until on... someone said it to me. <laughs> exactly, Michael. But <laughs> I'm sorry to ruin the game that we played already. But, but, but no, Con... that was just a dumb dumb me moment. Go ahead. <laughs> but but Conway, you know the the primary the, our protagonist that we played as from the very beginning is now gone. He's this light bright skeleton who's who's gone down a boat with uh, the the Hard Times Brewery Company, and you know we're we're now left with Shannon the dog um and the rest of our ragtag company and where where do we go from here and i mean this whole interlude with wevp tv just raises further questions you know what what happened after the storm where does it fit in along this timeline and so i i i i'm what whatever happens come hell or high water no pun intended i mean i'm i'm very very much excited for this this final act to see where we go. Um, well, you'll have to tune in next time for our Act 5 episode and our Interlude 5 episode, which are coming out next month. But until then, if you like the Left Behind Game Club, you can do us a few favors. First, you can go to your podcasting platform of choice, give us five stars, and give us a review. Because if you give us a review and you let us know, we'll read it on the air, just like this one from The Greatest Story Ever Played, who said, listen to this show. This show is excellent. The guys are tackling the never-ending task of ensuring that no game is left behind. Some of my favorite episodes have been What Remains of Edith Finch, Detroit Become Human, and Night in the Woods. So again, review us. We'll read it on the air. Uh, If you don't want to give us a review shame on you but also uh, <laughs> consider joining our discord uh, you can find the link to that on our website at leftbehindgame.club we're on twitter at leftbehindclub and we're also on instagram at leftbehindgameclub <gasps> with all that out of the way Adams thank you so much for coming on to your 8th episode we are very happy to have you back if people want to find you and your work where can they do that uh, the best place for people to find me is uh, just at my website, adamayaneta.ca. It's my professional profile for my work as a singer, um, just as well. I'm now on Facebook as well. Uh, if you look up Whoa. DM, <laughs> the future. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm a bit of I'm I'm a bit of a luddite when it comes to social media and those kinds of things. But um, if if you want to find me on Facebook, just look up DMA Ionetta, just my last name, and that's uh, just my Facebook page that piggybacks my work on my website. Um, but you know, just as passionate as I am about singing and music, I'm equally passionate about video games and talking about great games like this one with amazing people such as yourself. So thank you guys again for having me on. I mean, it's just it's an honor and a pleasure. <laughs> 
amazing. One of those amazing people is Michael Ruffalo. Michael, where can people find you in your work? You can find me on most social places online at RuffaloM, but more importantly, you can find me in the Discord where I get into knife fights with people about my hot takes. Um, uh, I'm looking forward to having more conversations and drag out brawls about our video gaming opinions, uh, but find me there in the uh, in the show discussion channel. And uh, also fighting Michael in the Discord is me, uh, at Jacob McCourt, uh, like I said, in the Discord. You can also find me on all major social media platforms there. Uh, big tweeter guy, so if you want to tweet me, you could do that. Uh, Michael, what do we say to the listeners every single episode? And that, my friends, is one less weird episode left behind. <laughs>